In Exodus chapter 3, we know that the children of Israel are slaves in Egypt, and they've cried out for deliverance from the Lord. We know that Moses is 80 years old, and he lives in Midian, and he's the, the Sinai Peninsula. He killed an Egyptian trying to deliver the Hebrews 40 years before. Now he's 80, and he's just doing his thing with his father-in-law Jethro. And it's in this background that God's going to move. God is on the move. It's the time. We often say that God has the right people at the right place at the right time. And certain things happen where God's on the move. And now God's on the move. And now it's God's timing, which is always perfect. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, verse 1, chapter 3, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of the fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he, Moses, said, Here I am. And then God said to him, Do not draw near to this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This is the story of the call of God on the life of Moses, known throughout the Bible as the lawgiver because he received the law of God, the Ten Commandments, from God on the mountain of God there in Sinai. Every, every fruitful life with the Lord it has to have a beginning. There, there's a calling and a responding. The Bible says many are called, but few are chosen because God calls out, but not many respond. The Bible, Jesus says, wide is the path that leads to destruction and many go thereby, but narrow is the gate that leads to life and few enter thereby. And so here we see this call on Moses' life. The call of God is a very special, holy, precious thing. And when we say the call of God, we say when God is calling you personally, when he is working in events and circumstances in your life where you know it's like a chessboard and he's boxing you in and he's got your attention and he's saying, check. And he wants you to be able to surrender your life to him and say, in a sense, in that context, checkmate, I'm yours, here I am. He's the light of the world and people come to light and the one who comes to him, he'll by no means cast out, but he said people don't come to light because their deeds are evil and they love darkness. So there's this paradoxical challenge where God calls us as individual human beings, and we know he's calling us, but are we willing to respond in faith and obedience to that call and enter the life he has for us? In the New Testament, we're told by Jesus, you must be born again. So when God calls us, we're already dead. We're in darkness and we're death. We're born in death. For in Adam, all sin and all die, and the wages of sin is death. But 
in Christ are made alive. And the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And these are the contrasts. So when God's calling you, he's calling you out of darkness and death and condemnation and eternally separated from him in hell to justification, life and fellowship and eternally glorified with him in heaven. The call of God is to pass from death to life. And in the New Testament, we're told we must be born again. Now, in the Old Testament with Moses, Samuel, many of the other saints like David, Esther, Deborah, we see in the Old Testament how the call of God works. It's the same principles, but it is a shadow of things to come. Because again, the Old Testament is the shadow, but the substance is Christ. So it's like black and white TV, like old black and white TV, before you see color TV. And it's partial revelation, consistent, progressive revelation, but the fullness is Christ. So everything in the Old Testament is moving toward Christ coming and dying on the cross to implement and bring in the new and everlasting covenant in a relationship with him. Now, these people were all called, like Moses, to a life of faith. It's always faith. By grace you've been saved, that through faith. Not of self-righteousness, but by faith. And so it is in the Old Testament. So Abel, the son of Adam, was saved by faith. Noah, Enoch, was saved by faith before the flood. Noah was saved by faith through the flood. Abraham was saved by faith. Sarah was saved by faith. Isaac and Jacob were all saved by faith. And they're, well, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were all saved by faith. So faith in God. We're told that Abraham believed God, the promises, and it was accounted him for righteousness. And then we see his faith in action when he was willing to offer up Isaac, knowing that God had a plan to keep Isaac alive. So again, what we come to in faith with the gospel message of giving our life to Jesus Christ, we're responding to the call of God to be saved from our sins and to be set apart for our calling. And really, that's what God did in the Old Testament with a shadow, like black and white TV versus full surround sound color TV, if you will. Shadow of things to come. So with that context, here's Moses. Now, Moses is 80. It's been said of Moses, the first 40 years, he thought he was somebody, and then he found out he was nobody. And so the 40 years in the wilderness is when God made him a nobody, and then the last 40 years of his life, when he leads the children of Israel, he finds out that God can take a nobody and use them fruitfully as a somebody. So he thought he was somebody, then he realizes he's nobody, and then once he comes to the Lord at the burning bush, he realizes, you know what, in the next 40 years, God can take a nobody and use them to become somebody useful for his purposes. But here on this day, Moses is doing what he always does. Notice he's the shepherd. He's got the sheep. That's what he does for a living. He's 80. You know, it's an agri-society. You take care of the sheep, you get to eat dinner, <laughs> you get to drink water, right? He's, he's doing what he's doing. And he's got a pretty good life. He's got his wife. He's got his father-in-law. He's got his place. He's got his niche and his groove, much like many people did two weeks ago that maybe they don't have now. But he had a good life, and this was his life. And he, he had a job, and he was tending the flock. Now, what's interesting is that in tending the flock, he was actually doing what he'd be doing in, for the next 40 years of his life. He spent who knows how many years tending the flock of sheep in the wilderness before he would tend the flock of God in the wilderness, which just shows us that when God calls us, he meets us where we're at, and he's often been leading us in a direction, preparing us for what he's going to do with us once we give our life to him. It's no coincidence that Moses has a shepherd's staff in his arm when he's leading the flock of God, and that staff is going to become the rod by which God does all the miracles. Again, it's like black and white TV. We're leading the sheep. And when he's being used for the call of God and 
God says, take that rod with you. Now it's super empowered and it becomes useful to the master's service. It's the call of God. So he's tending the flock, doing what he's doing. And God comes to him. And we're told that no one seeks the Lord. No, not one. It's not like we wake up and say, man, I want to serve the Lord. No, the Bible tells us that doesn't happen. What happens is we're dead in trespasses and sin. And then all of a sudden, God begins to reveal himself to us. So we might look at a sunset and go like, wow, like God must have made that. That's amazing, that sunset. We might think that. Because God tells us in Romans chapter 1, we look at creation, we're held accountable to God by looking at creation. So when you look at a sunset or something beautiful or you're walking in the fields right now in the springtime, you see all those beautiful yellow flowers and it's green, you say, wow, this is just beautiful. That comment should move you toward thinking, who made this? God made it. He's the master artist. Or you see a hummingbird in your backyard and you're like, that is amazing. You should say, why does that hummingbird do that? And you say, somebody made that hummingbird. And that's God. God has revealed himself through creation. And so we, we, we are held accountable to know him through creation, but we don't actually seek him. What happens is, in the New Testament, is the gospel goes forth, and the Holy Spirit is confirming the message of Jesus Christ being the Savior, dying on the cross for our sins, and rising from the grave for our hope and justification. So when we hear the good news of the gospel, the Holy Spirit speaks to our spirit. See, we are spirit. We're spirit, mind, and body. And the Holy Spirit speaks to our spirit and confirms the truth of the gospel. Like, we're like, wow, I believe that. Now, see, some people hear the gospel, and they're like, I don't believe that at all. Well, that's the parable where the, Jesus said where the seed is just plucked out by the bird. I don't, know, I don't know how to help that person, but if you hear the message, and you say, wow, I believe that, then good for you, because God's calling you, like Moses on the backside of the mountain, while you're watching the sheep, and he's calling you. He's revealing himself to you. But none seeks after the Lord, no, not one. So when the Lord calls you, like Moses here, you want to respond. Like, you want to draw near. You want to go see why the bush is burning. Like, why is that bush burning and not consumed? Like, why do these people, like Greg Laurie, the famous evangelist, before he got saved, people gave him tracts all the time. He had a drawer full of tracts that people gave him about Jesus Christ. He had a drawer full of them. And so he's like, like, why are these Christians meeting at Newport Harbor and doing that? Like, these Jesus freaks. Like, he was being drawn. Like, why does the bush burn and not consume? When he's calling us, you want to keep moving in, drawing closer. But it's not like you wake up like, oh, I, I said, I'm going to serve the Lord today. I'm such a good person. It doesn't work that way. He reveals himself to us, and then we respond by faith. So here's Moses coming to the backside of the mountain, doing what he does. And it says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire in the midst of the burning bush. So he sees something that no one's ever seen before. In, in all the time of human history, about 2,000 years up to this time, from the dawn of creation, 1,500 years to the flood, post-flood world, ice age for about 400 years. Then there's Abraham about 100 years after that. So that's about... 2000 BC, so about 4,000 years of time, space, and matter in our universe. And believe me, it's a young earth and it's a young universe. Trust me, you'll find out when you stand before Jesus. And here, after 2,000 years, about another 400 years go by, 500 years, and now here's Moses, 1500 BC. Now, as God has revealed himself, he revealed himself in a covenant to Adam, then he revealed himself in a covenant to Noah, and then he revealed himself in a covenant to Abraham, all saints of the Old Testament who were all saved by faith and they had progressive revelation. But now, in all that timeline of human history, about 2,500 years, he had never, no one had ever seen a burning bush. Eternity has come into time. So he's walking down the the road like this with the sheep, and all of a sudden, it's like eternity falls upon him, and now the presence of the Lord is there and in his glory. And he's, he's looking at him. He's looking at this burning bush going like, what in the world is this? So he draws near to see what the burning bush is doing and take a good look at it, and like, oh my goodness, what's going on? And there God speaks to him from the burning bush. So God revealed himself, and Moses was drawn in, 
And he's responding. Now, we are told that no one has seen God at any time. No one's ever seen the Father. Now, he's revealed to us in glory in Revelation chapter 4. We are told there's a rainbow that goes over his throne. And there's all kinds of worship going on in there. But we're told no one has seen the Father at any time, but the only begotten of the Father, the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, he has revealed him to us. We're also told that the law of God came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So no one has ever seen the Father. So when people say, oh, I saw God, or God spoke to me in the Old Testament, or even the New Testament, they're not seeing the Father, because God's triune in nature, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are either seeing an angel speaking on behalf of God as a messenger, or they're seeing the angel of the Lord, or the commander of the Lord's army, who is God, and people bow down to him. So how can we reconcile that no one can see God and live, yet people see God and live? Well, they see Jesus Christ. Jesus wasn't just... When Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary... It's not like he just began to exist. Like, we began to exist. When I was conceived in my mother's womb in uh, the summer of 1960, that's when I began to exist as one cell. But Jesus did not begin to exist when he was the Immaculate Conception with the Virgin Mary, being born of the Virgin. That's not when he began to exist. He's always been there. He's at the right hand of the Father, and he's, he's in glory. All things were made by Christ and for Christ, and him all things consist. When the universe was made, he made it. God is triune, and Jesus was making it, and everything that was made was made for him. The Father loves the Son and commits all things to him. So Jesus has always been there. Jesus said of Satan, I saw him cast out from heaven and fall to the earth. So before Satan's created mischief in the Garden of Eden, he was kicked out of heaven, and Jesus was the one that kicked him out and saw it. So Jesus, in the Old Testament, has various times what we call theophanies, which means theos, God, God appearance, or Christophanies, Christ appearances, and they're Theophanies or Christophanies, where he's actually appearing in the Old Testament. The Son is appearing on behalf of God. In this case, he's called the angel of the Lord. Now, there are an angel of the Lord or an angel of the Lord, but this is the angel of the Lord. And this is important because in the Gospel of John, when Jesus said, before Abraham, I am. Now, later on in this chapter, we're not reading it tonight. When Moses says, who did I say send me? Because everyone knows you as uh, El Shaddai, God Almighty. So when I show up in Egypt and said, God at a burning bush sent me, what do I say your name is? And he says, God says, my name is Yahweh. I am that I am, the all-sufficient one. So uh, Yahweh sent me, the all-sufficient God, God three in one. So Jesus says, he that's seen, the fa- he that's seen me has seen the Father. The Father and I are one, is what he says in the New Testament. And then there in John, when he said, before Abraham, I am, he took the title of the one speaking from the burning bush, the angel of the Lord, and they picked up rocks and they went to throw throw them at him because they knew he claimed to be God when he claimed to be I am of the burning bush. And of course, they crucified him because he claimed to be God as well. They considered it blasphemy. So make no mistake, Jesus Christ said he's I am at the burning bush, speaking to Moses. That's what he said. This is a theophany. This is Christ appearing in the Old Testament at the burning bush to Moses. And so when we think about Jesus speaking out of the burning bush to Moses, we think about Jesus calling people in the New Testament as well because there's consistent things here. We also think about the Lord just calling people in the Old Testament, calling them from a life of unbelief and perishing to a life of faith and serving, from darkness to light. Again, Old Testament shadow, New Testament full substance. So the Lord, the angel of the Lord, is the Lord Jesus calling him from the burning bush and 
He calls him by name, but he also calls him in holiness. So he says, take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. So he's calling him in holiness and calling him by name. Moses, Moses is how he's calling him. And he's holy. When he calls us, he calls us by name. In the New Testament, we see Jesus walk by and, you know, he calls Peter, Andrew, John, and James. He, he calls Matthew the tax collecting booth. He calls people by name. Zacchaeus goes to see Jesus. He's up in the tree going through Jericho. And Zacchaeus has no idea Jesus knows him. Zacchaeus rips everybody off. He's a tax collector. What does Jesus do? He's like, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house tonight for dinner. He calls him by name. That's the burning bush. When Jesus tells Zacchaeus, get out of the tree, we're having dinner together at your house tonight, that's the burning bush experience for Zacchaeus. When Jesus walks by Peter Andrew and says, drop your nets and follow me, that's the burning bush experience. When he walks by uh, John and James and says, follow me, and they leave their dad in the fishing business, that's the burning bush experience. When he walks by Matthew in the tax collector's booth and he says, hey, follow me, that's the burning bush experience. It's the same voice. It's Jesus. He calls us. When Isaiah in the Old Testament was pronouncing woes on his generation about 700 B.C., so about almost 1,000 years after this, he's pronouncing woes before the Assyrians are about to conquer the northern kingdom. He's like, woe is the drunkard, and woe is this, and woe is that. And then he sees the Lord in his glory, and he's like, hey, woe is me, because he's standing on holy ground. Woe is me. And then the Lord says to him, whom shall we send? And Isaiah says, send me, right? And Isaiah went for it. So we see these consistencies in the calling of God. In fact, you can even look to Mary, the mother of Jesus, in this sense, because Gabriel the angel, and there seems to be three primary super-duper angels, Lucifer, Satan being one of them, the fallen angel, and then Michael and Gabriel all seem to be like super-duper angels, like super-duper angels. And Gabriel appears to Mary and says, you're going to do this, and you're going to conceive, and, and she's like, how can I conceive? I've never been you know, intimately with a man. And he says, the power of the Holy Spirit will come up, come upon you and you will conceive. And you'll name him Jesus, which means Yeshua, which is Savior and Deliverer, for he will save his people from their sins. And she said, let it be to me as thou hast spoken, the maidservant of the Lord. So the angel Gabriel is appearing to her on behalf of the Lord from the throne room, saying, this is the plan. She's a teenager, most likely. And she says, let it be to me as thou hast spoken the maidservant of the Lord. She's embracing that call. So this is the call of God on our lives. And there's a call of God. I believe, I personally believe that there's a call of God in everyone's life. We only live once and you get one chance to surrender your life to Christ. And again, when you come to Christ, you're given of that which you cannot keep, your life that's perishing to gain what you cannot lose, the eternal life that you find in Christ. Jesus said, well, a prophet of man begins the whole world and yet loses his soul. The great missionary Jim Elliot said, he's no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose, life in Christ. So Jesus is calling, and he's calling us personally. Moses, Moses, whom shall I send, Isaiah? Isaiah says, send me. Gabriel to Mary, let it be to me the maidservant of the Lord as thou hast spoken. Peter and Andrew dropped their nets immediately. John and James walked away from their father immediately. Matthew immediately left the tax collector's booth. Follow me. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will change you. I will work in you, and I will make you who I want you to be. I have a call in your life. Follow me. 
when he called Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and I called you a prophet to the nations. Oh, I'm too young. How am I going to do this? I called you and made you a prophet to the nations. Follow me. I will be with you. I will make your face like flint. So God is calling and he calls us. And he calls us by name. Jesus says he knows the hairs on our head. So it's not like if you're in a stadium like Anaheim Stadium and at a great glory, you know, a harvest crusade, and he gives an invitation, and you think, well, he's calling that person or that person. He's calling you too. Like he's got a personal plan for each of our lives. If he knows the hairs on our head, and since we're all created, there's not one human being that doesn't have potential to be redeemed by the Lord and to fulfill the purposes of the Lord in their life, whatever it looks like. We have to look at humanity and look at people and see the potential of what Christ can do for good in their life. If they're saved, if they are, they're called, if they're willing to respond to the call. That's, we have to see that potential. And we have to believe that potential when we look at people. But in our own life, we have to consider very well our response to the call of God. An initial response, a start point, where Jesus becomes the author and the finisher of our faith. Here with Moses, his life's never going to be the same. God is speaking to him from the burning bush. He's going to yield to the God of the burning bush. He's going to obey the God of the burning bush. He's going to have excuses. He had excuses. We all have excuses. He said in the next chapter, but suppose they will not believe me, right? Suppose they will not believe me. When I was called as a pro surfer to let go of pro surfing, everything I knew, to, to be an evangelist and go out and share the gospel, I was like, man, this was the question. Like, suppose no one listens to me. And some, sometimes no one did. But sometimes people did. And even no one ever listened to you and you just do what God called you to do, that's honorable and the purpose of life, that's Jeremiah. It's between you and the Lord. And then Moses also said in the next chapter, I'm not eloquent of speech. Like, well, that's good if you're humble. It's not good if you're afraid. We can make excuses all day long why we won't serve the Lord. And then Moses again said, you know, forget the excuses. Could you just please send someone else? You don't ever want to do that. If God has something for you to do, and he's calling you, and he's commissioning you, you want to do it, you don't want to miss the call of God. There are things that you are created for in this journey of life, whether it be short or long, that only you can fulfill the way they're meant to be fulfilled. Now, yeah, God God can have a plan B. There's no question about that. But why would you throw away plan A if you're plan A for what God wants to do in your life? Moses, Moses, here I am. That's what we want to say to the call of God. And when we think about the circumstances in our world right now and how God might want to use you, use me, use us, use the Church of Jesus Christ here in Southern California, Los Angeles, Orange County, San Diego County, San Francisco, how he wants to use the church in America right now for such a time as this, how he wants to use the church worldwide as countries are completely locking their borders and the death count's going up and infection rates are going up with COVID-19 and the coronavirus and if, if we've answered the call of God, this is our time to shine. This is our time to not be in a slumber or insensitive or desensitized to how God wants to work in our life. We want to be razor sharp and crisp for what God's doing in our timeline and to understand our calling in this timeline and how to fulfill it. We want to be proactive. We don't want to be reactive with the kingdom right now. We want to be proactive. And if you've never given your life to Christ, this, you know, it shouldn't take like, cataclysmic, apocalyptic events like this to bring you to Christ. But if, if that's your burning bush, if COVID-19 is your burning bush, and I say bow the knee and take your sandals off because you're on holy ground. 
If it's COVID-19 that makes you crowd to the Lord for salvation and forgiveness, then it's just holy ground. COVID-19 can be your holy ground. COVID-19 can be holy ground for the entire planet. If the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the Bible tells us we choose the fear of the Lord. We all fear something. Reverence to the Lord is the best thing. Fear of dying from COVID-19, you should fear death. If you're not saved, you should definitely fear death because you're going from your glory toward death. But in Christ, you're going toward glory. It's the exact opposite. So if COVID-19 and fear of death is your burning bush and the holy ground, I just tell you, man, take your sandals off, bow the knee, and realize that Jesus is king He's got a good plan for you. Like, like Isaiah, what were these guys and what were those guys? And then he sees the Lord's like COVID-19 or the burning bush. Whoa, what was me? What was me? Then the Lord's, okay, now we got your woe going on you. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? <laughs> Here I am, Lord, send me. That's the wisest thing we can do on March 24th, airing this study on March 28th, 2020. It's the wisest thing we can do. Make ourselves available. It's not our ability. I can't say this. I can't do that. Could you please just send someone else? It's not the ability. It never is. It's always the availability. Very important. I understood that in 1987. It was not my abilities that the Lord was going to use. It was my availabilities. He would use my staff in my hand, the surfboard. He's used my surfing career my entire life as a, as a believer in Christ. But it's not because I'm a pro surfer in the Hall of Fame or something that God uses me. Like, that guy got crucified. It's a redeemed version of that person that's what was. This is what is. God uses it, but it's like that staff. It looked like this on the backside of the mountain with Jethro. When I get say the surfboard looks like this, leading for the kingdom of God. Big difference. And then the, the final thing we see here. So God's calling us personally, and we're responding personally, and we're, we're bowing the knee on holy ground, the burning bush to Jesus. It's, it's immediate. But the last thing we see here is that where God says, I've, heard, I've, seen their, I've seen their situation, I've heard their cry, I know their sorrows, and there's a need, there's a need. I gotta get these people from point A to point B. There's a need to take people from oppression and bondage to deliverance and salvation to a land, a good land, full of milk and honey. And you know, having been used in ministry for 32 years, I've watched people's lives be radically transformed. I, I, I have story after story of people who actually did hear the message of the gospel and respond favorably to it and bear the fruits of it. Oh, so many years ago, one that stands out to me, when we were doing the drug and alcohol ministry in Vista in 1989, early on in ministry, Ray Horton. Ray Horton was uh, living in Vista, and he came to the drug and alcohol ministry one night, and uh, we shared Christ with him, and he seemed really open. And I said to Ray Horton, I go, hey, Ray, it's like, you know, what, what's keeping you from giving your life to Jesus Christ right now? And he looked at me, and he said, $20,000 worth of crystal meth in my closet. And I was like, wow, just think if we pour that out right now, you are $20,000 invested in the kingdom. We need to go home and pour that out right now. And so what, what about the guys, the, you know, the dealers and all? I'm like, forget those guys. You pour that out to the Lord. He's got your back. He'll take care of those guys. Come on now. You got faith right now. Let's move on this. I got in a car at 9 at night on a Thursday night. We drove to a place in Vista, and we went in his closet. We pulled out $20,000 worth of crystal meth, and we poured it on the ground. And we made that an offering to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was all in. I said, only a fool would go back to the world after making that investment. You're in. You're the kingdom. Last I ever heard of Ray, he was serving in the children's ministry with his wife at Calvary Chapel Vista years later. 
It's a beautiful thing to see people delivered from the oppression of the taskmaster of Pharaoh to a land flowing with milk and honey. What kind of a marriage do you think Ray Horton would have with crystal meth? You ever seen a marriage with crystal meth? It doesn't last. It's destructive. You ever seen a healthy marriage with Jesus Christ? It's the most beautiful thing on the planet. I helped Ray 30 years ago go from the taskmaster and bondage to the land flowing with milk and honey. And I've had the privilege to watch a lot of people do the same thing. Well, I've seen people say, we like Egypt. We like Pharaoh. Oh, we like making bricks, even without straw. Oh, the onions are good in Egypt. Okay, it's your business. But if you want to pass from the taskmaster and bondage and slavery, Jesus Christ will set you free, because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And you can come to a land full of milk and honey. And you can have the best of all that God has for you. That's the calling. Jesus said to Peter and Andrew, I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. He works in us to transform us to recruit people or to win people to Christ. Not like we're trying to sell them cars or take something from them. He uses us to win people to Christ because we represent Christ and we we are being broken and made a spectacle in a good way for Christ. And people see you radically different because of Christ, then you have an influence, an impact to, to change your family and win your family to the Lord or distant friends, old friends, whatever. They're like, that's not the same person. Right. Matthew was a tax collector, and now he's a minister with Jesus, the rabbi from Nazareth. And he's definitely not the same person. You see him on the day of Pentecost next to Peter, man, those guys are like speaking in tongues, different languages. Matthew's not that smart. Matthew speaks Hebrew. He's like letting it rip in like Libyan dialect or something. You know, that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. People are like, whoa, dude, that's Matthew the tax collector. That's crazy. Dude, tell me about Jesus. Right? You know, it's like people are glorifying God. So God, he calls, we respond personally, and we're all in at the holy place, and we give our life to Christ, and then he's going to use us to win people to the kingdom. Because when we get to the kingdom, you can't take anything with you. Frank Sinatra is buried in his pink Cadillac. You know that? Did you know that? Frank Sinatra, who said, I did it my way, he did in time. Rat Pack. Frank Sinatra was buried in a pink Cadillac. And that's still in the dirt. And every wealthy person that's ever accumulated wealth, even to the current people that own a lot of wealth, when they breathe their last, it stays behind. You cannot take it with you. The only thing that you can take with you are people that you've influenced and won for the kingdom of God. Because there's faith, hope, and love, but love never fails. And faith and hope is for time. And love is for time, but love is for all eternity. We don't need faith and hope in eternity. It's fulfilled, but love transcends it. So when you think about what you're living for and what you're pursuing, there is no greater pursuit than to bow the knee at the burning bush when God calls you and respond to the call of God and be all into the call of God like a name change, Peter was Simon, then he's Peter. Saul was Saul, and then it became Paul, like so radical. Like Jacob was Jacob, and then God changed his name to Israel. Like, yeah, you're a totally different person. Totally different person. And to fulfill that call, and in fulfilling that call, it's not about you, what you can gain and leave behind. It's about you, how you can be transformed, who you can win, how you can bless, how you can serve and take with you. Don't cry for me when you hear I've stepped into eternity. 
Don't you cry for me. I'm going to glory. And I'll see all the fruit of what the last 32 years has been in living for the gospel. And even when I'm there, however that dimension works, I'll see all the fruit that comes after me when I'm gone, just like those have gone before us. Moses, Moses. Moses, Moses, put your name there and just say, here I am, Lord. Or as Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. That is a call of God for you, and that is the right response from you. And it's the greatest journey you'll ever have. It's the only journey that matters to have, and you'll fulfill your purpose in life. So bring it on. Burning bush, holy ground, let's go.